Welcome to Gutsy Matters Podcast, brought to you by storednaturally.com. I'm Wendy Allen. And I'm Helen Reynolds. Gutsy Matters Podcast is for independent thinkers who aren't afraid to stand out from the crowd. Our conversations are with people who, like us, are willing to create something they believe in, something that helps us all to live more sustainably, more consciously, and with greater connection. We're delighted you're joining us to discover, uncover, and create opportunities and perspectives about health, wealth, and sustainable living. Welcome to the Gutsy Matters podcast. Hello, I'm Helen. And I'm Wendy. It is our pleasure to be talking with Nims Zavatkas. She is a chef, she is a big believer in no waste, and the wonderful woman behind Bring Us Your Excess campaign. We are really looking forward to discovering how her childhood in Papua New Guinea, which she describes as the purest road to happiness, still shapes her choices, work and advocacy. Her most recent creation was the Jam Pantry Cafe in Greenslopes, Brisbane, Australia, which she has just sold and that's why she has a few moments to spend with us on the Gutsy Matters podcast. Hello, Nims. Hello, girl. It's lovely to talk to you today, Nims, and thank you so much for being part of Gutsy Matters podcast. Oh, that's my absolute pleasure. Thank you. We just thought we'd start off with asking you about why you became a chef in the first place. Yes, yeah, so growing up in PNG, uh, mum had a beautiful garden that uh, when we first moved there, the nationals laughed at her because it was red clay soil and she was determined that she was going to make a beautiful kitchen garden for us. So there was no corner store. We couldn't just go take away or, you know, go to the shops and buy potatoes. Everything had to be grown and everything had to be made. So we had a gorgeous kitchen garden. She had a 44-gallon drum each of um, chicken and, and cow manure in there. And we had a huge compost pit. And when I'm talking huge, if I had a fallen in it as a kid, I would have drowned. And she turned this red clay soil into black earth. We had a massive big wood-fired stove that was just on all the time. You know, you'd come out in the morning and, and you'd light the fire and there was a, a copper urn that sat on top of that. And that was for our cups of tea and our showers and there was no hot water plumbed into the house whatsoever. So I grew up in, with this really simple, simple life. No TV, no radio. If you wanted music, you played your guitar and sang. There was always people in the house. You know, dinner would be us plus someone every night. So there could be, you know, 10 of us, there could be 12 of us. We could pull the extension out and there was all of a sudden 18 people at the table. And mum just always had stuff going and there was always enough food to feed. And, you know, every night the table was just this magical place. It was just beautiful. So when I was a kid, of course, you know, the, the table and food and cooking became so much a part of my heart because in my head that's where all the joy lived. It didn't live anywhere else. It was just around the table. I made my first roast chicken dinner independently when I was seven. So mum and dad used to go off to the nearest big town to do their three-monthly shop for flour and, you know, all your basic pantry items. And they'd come home and I would sneak while they were gone. It was like I was a, an alcoholic, but my addiction was cooking. And I would, I would make stuff. I'd make cakes. I'd pour over mum's books and just, 
you know, make this crazy mess and the mission was to clean it up before they came home so they wouldn't know, but have something lovely for us to eat. Anyway, um, this one night they came home and I'd made this beautiful big roast dinner and made some apple pie and the crust was, because I was kneading the crust like bread rather than not touching it like a short pastry. So you could barely get your fork in it. <laughs> but it was from that moment, it was just, it was just the most beautiful, you know, like my memory of that night is just precious. And my memory of my parents' face, mum especially, she was just beaming because I didn't really, I just sat on the bench with her and observed and sucked up all the information I could and helped her, but I'd never really cooked independently for them like that. So from there, um, I was in charge of making dinner then. Mum would help me, but it was up to me to dictate what we would bring in to cook with or what we would plant. Um, she sort of slowly but surely handed that over to me. So I was, you know, in effect, head chef in the family kitchen from when I was seven. It was brilliant. <laughs> and I, I really wanted to be a chef, but I also didn't. I was really scared that if I did it as a living, I'd hate it. I was so scared that that place, that I adored so much in that place that, you know, when I was sad, when I was depressed, any little thing that happened in my life, I would always run to the kitchen and, and cook to help myself work through my emotions. And I didn't ever want that to not be a part of who I was. And it wasn't until, so I joined the Navy, ran racing cooking, joined the Navy, did pain accounts, left the Navy because, you know, creatives don't survive in environments like that. Um, and I was doing a hospitality course in Brisbane and it was run by this really wonderful chef. And she and I would talk food constantly and I invited her over to my place for dinner. So I used to throw these awesome dinner parties, you know, there'd be seven courses and they'd go on until 4 a.m. and all sorts of amazing conversation, you know, the things that happen when you're in your early 20s and think you can win, win at life. And I invited my hospitality lecture over for dinner so we used to do that quite a lot talk about food and whatnot and this one night she got quite cross with me I mean granted we had had a couple of wines but nonetheless she wanted to know what on earth what on earth I was doing why was I wasting my life you know I had no right not to go and be a chef she was so intense and um, I told her why you know that I was afraid that that I would lose my love for it and she said but Naomi you don't understand it's actually not about you it's about us and if you don't go and be a chef then we miss out so I I took that and I thought oh my goodness like it 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 is a point I think you know any of those sort of don't call it hospitality for nothing any of those pursuits yes they do feed us but we're given those gifts for others, we're not giving them for, the, for ourselves. So I left Melbourne and um, mum and dad were in town at the time. I wanted to be with family but didn't necessarily want to live back in their pockets again. So I moved to Cairns and um, signed up at the Cairns Chase, went and got myself an apprenticeship at a little cafe in Port Douglas called Mango Jams and uh, started my professional food adventure. And it was amazing. So I'd, you know, cook up and down the East Coast and up in Tasmania for a stint as well. And I'd just learn if I cooked in the kitchen, you know, I'd research to see 
what sort of kitchen I wanted, what sort of skills I wanted to learn, who was offering those sorts of skills, and then I'd go and and cook and learn. And once I'd stopped learning and things became boring, because, you know, when I first cooked, people had set a menu and there was no seasonality, which confused me as well. It was all just, you know, we set a menu, this is what we do, so our customers, you know, in two years' time, they can come back and they know that their favourite dish is still going to be here. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, and as a quite a creative cook wanting to learn, I got bored very quickly. So that's how I, that's how I learnt, I guess. And then... um when we were in Sydney, so I ended up in Sydney, fell in love with my gorgeous husband. We got married and we opened up a cafe together, our first cafe when I was four months pregnant. Yes, I know, severe nesting with my, <laughs> first, with my first and only daughter. And that cafe, Big Brecky, she taught me how to be a businesswoman, you know, how to pay staff and all the red tape involved in being self-employed. And then, um, and then we came up to Brisbane, and I, we weren't going to open another cafe again. I had my heart set on getting some land up on the Sunshine Coast and getting some goats and making cheese. But when we first moved to Brisbane, there was nowhere to get a coffee. You just went to Glory Jeans, and that was it. And I remember the only place that was really doing anything worthy of anything was Gunshop Cafe in West End, owned by Justine Whalen, and she's a bit of a a hospitality store up here. She's a wonderful woman. And I would go in there and feel so at home. It wasn't like I was in this big food wasteland that Brisbane was. <laughs> and I think the foodscape of Brisbane has changed so much. Anyway, we opened Comfort on my table because we had nowhere to go besides garden shop to eat. So we thought there must be so many other people feeling the same thing. So we opened Comfort at my table and we called it that because at that time, there was still a lot of a lot of people in Brisbane that hadn't really explored food culture, and I didn't want to come in as this, you know, chef with the big ego cooking a menu and you will eat what I, I you know, I'll show you how to eat and appreciate food. I think you know, that's probably the worst way you can come in. So I went in at it and called it that name so that I could cook things that people grew up with and were familiar with but give it a bit more of a modern spin and earn their trust. And I absolutely did that. We had that place for five years and, you know, it was very popular. And that's where I really started doing what's preserving there. Not so much fermenting, but lots of jamming and there was lots of chutneys and relishes going out and because they were the things that, you know, people had grown up with with their nanas, passion fruit curd and, you know, all that sort of comfort food and I love the yeah, name it, it, it yeah. absolutely explains what what you did yeah absolutely yeah um, and I'm a big you know, like I love even when I'm putting stuff in the house everything's got a match you've got to steam everything up so everything's cohesive anyway we um then took a year off and I was going to do preserving full-time so I changed pivoted slightly and started thinking about wholesaling jams and doing lots of preserves, pickles, chutneys, got a little market license and we're selling stuff at the market. And Gideon was going to do a hole in the wall and we started looking for premises for him to do his hole in the wall and me to have, you know, a little wholesale kitchen and a room where I could chat to people, maybe do some consulting. And it just morphed. He said to me, 
Oh, baby, you know, can you do a menu? And <laughs> we found this beautiful space. And I said to him, by the time you have a hole in the wall and then I'm doing your menus, I'm going to end up cooking anyway. So let's just have another cafe. Stuff it. So <laughs> Jam Pantry was born. And I had to call it the Jam Pantry so that it would give me license to do all of those things that, you know, I was falling in love with again because of comfort at my table. All the things that mum did, all the things that I used to do with my nana when we came back to Australia on, on furlough. And it just gave me license to explore preserving. And preserving is such a broad area. And it's really lovely too because preserving allows you to not be wasteful. And, you know, that's essentially what it was meant for. It wasn't meant just mm. to. You didn't make chutneys just because you had, you know, ordered something in especially and wanted something beautiful to go on plate. It was to use up, you know, excess. You planted too many tomatoes, you made passata or you made tomato chutney or you made tomato relish or you made tomato jam or you mm. made tomato soup. It was tomato. If it was tomato season, you really knew it. <laughs> And I know you're you're a big believer in no waste, and I guess that, as you say, that's that's behind a lot of the preserving. But yeah. was there other ways that, if you had oodles of tomatoes, for instance, that other things other than the preserves and and how that was sort of philosophy behind your cafe, the no waste philosophy? Yes. Well, I guess because that's how we lived in New Guinea, and that's how I was brought up. And I, as I'm getting older, I'm being, I'm becoming more and more incensed about the amount of waste that we generate without any thought. It's just how we live. There's no thought of the fact that we're not writing, we're not planning our weekly meals as families, writing shopping lists and then going out and only buying what we need. There's so much. You know, if the produce looks beautiful, and I'm I'm guilty of this too, I'll go into a beautiful local grocer and I have a list, but then I see this and I see that and I start touching it and feeling it and I get excited and I want to cook this and I want to cook that and I have to really tell myself off. Um, but I think that, you know, shopping, yeah, shopping like that isn't just for shoes. We shop like that for <laughs> food as well. Absolutely, we do. And, we do. Yeah, and we online shop. You know, like if, if we go visiting somewhere, we don't just go, oh, I'm just going to have a meal. All of a sudden, you know, if there's preserves to take home or there's bread or there's, you know, this or that, you can very quickly rack up a $150 bill with all these excess things, spontaneous purchases. It's just just part of our culture. And I think, you know, I'm constantly having to tell myself to temper that. Not only am I wasting money, really, if I don't eat the stuff, but there's just so much inane waste in things. If you don't need it, don't buy it. Lots of my friends will go on the sales and they get really excited about, oh, but it's on special. I'm like, yeah, but just because it's on special doesn't mean you're actually saving money. <laughs> if you don't need it, don't buy it. Absolutely, um, and I think a lot of the, the in terms of food waste is for that very reason that you've just said is that people aren't planning what they're going yeah. to be eating for the week or, or I mean, you don't yeah. have to have a, a full-blown Absolutely. menu, but you yeah. actually are thinking about what you're going to cook for the family for the week. Yeah. And you do get excited because you go to, you know, your grocer or a farmer's market and you see all this wonderful produce and, and 
you just say, oh, wow, we'll just buy all of this. And then you go, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do with it all? So, and, and, and sadly, yeah, people end up throwing it out because then they don't know what to do with it or they yeah. have left it too and, long. Yeah, and if they're not composting or or getting rid of their waste responsibly, it all ends up in landfill. Mm, so it just right. adds to this huge problem. And I think too, you know, as far as, like as a kid, when, when mum was planting out her garden, we'd sit around, you know, we'd have seeds or we'd have seeds that we'd save from harvesting, whatever, letting things go to seed, we'd save it. And we'd look at, you know, oh, the weather's getting cold. What sort of things are we wanting to eat? What sort of things are we wanting to plant? So there was like real conversations about how much of something we were going to plant. If we did plant a little bit more, what things could we make out of what excess we might have? Do we plant a little bit extra so we've got some extra? Are we wanting to make lots of tomato sauce? Do you guys think that you're going to go through this big phase of wanting me to make lots of pizza? If you are, I'm going to have to plant extra tomatoes to make more sauce. You know, it was just these sorts of conversations we had all the time. And I don't know that, I mean, I know currently, like I've, I've had a lot of experience with, say, my daughter bringing friends home. There's, there's such a lack, I think, of communication around, not just around food, but communication around a table generally. So many of Miriam's friends come home and because everyone's so busy, her teenage friends, I would say 80% of them don't even know how to set a table. So for me to even be having a conversation about let's sit down and plan what we're going to plant, all of that, those sorts of conversations, I think as a general population are quite foreign because we live in such a society of convenience. If I want that, I will go buy it. If I buy too much, I can just throw it away. It doesn't matter. There's no real thought about having good communication with the family about what you want. There's no real thought about what the family's going to eat because everybody's just on their devices in separate rooms of the house trying to unwind separately. There's not a lot of real community in a home anymore. Yeah, it's a bit try sad, and, isn't it? It's really sad. And these kids aren't, it's not like they're from, you know, low socioeconomic backgrounds and everybody's disadvantaged. These kids are coming from homes where mum's a lawyer and dad's an accountant and they're just really busy. There's waste everywhere. I think that people are starting to realise a bit more and it's, and it's because there's been some very good documentaries on waste. Yeah. I yep. think the, the banning of single-use plastic bags has made people Brilliant. at least start to think about what they do with their food, what what yep. waste, you know, what they need and what they don't need, I guess. And yep. it we've only just touched the very, very surface and we've got a long, long way to go. I think Australia yep. is up there with the United States as the biggest food waste in the world, which is a bit sad. So we really need to do something about it. So it yeah. brings me to my next question. You have spoken about a Bring Your Excess campaign mm-hmm. and I'd love you to tell us a little bit more about what that campaign's about and how it works. Well, it started because I I can't help myself and have these conversations with the whosoever's that I can and talking about gardens and people would be coming to me with, you know, Nims, what can I do with? I've overplanted. I had one lady. Her husband got really excited about they'd purchased some land 
um, in suburbia, so a large plot, and he went and planted seven orange trees without thinking about the yield on one orange tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. All these oranges are just falling off onto the ground now and I feel really guilty about putting them anywhere. Can you give me some ideas about what to do? And I said, well, with the yield of oranges that you're about to have, I don't even know that you're going to be able to handle what you've planted. Even if I give you 500 ways with oranges, there's still going to be so much, imagine, on seven orange trees. So unless you want to get a stall at the market, why don't you bring them in here and I'll I'll make orange juice for the season. So we had from her trees three months for her from her seven trees. Wow. <laughs> three months worth. Can you imagine the yield of oranges? Fantastic. And it was I know. Fantastic for me, yes. But if I hadn't have had these conversations with people, what would have happened to the excess that her little backyard in suburbia was producing. And the funny thing is, not funny, huh? not even funny, strange, funny, sad. The funny thing is that there are so many people that, you know, people want to be in communication with each other. People are wanting to go back to that familiar, beautiful, holistic way of being. And so they plant all of this stuff without thinking about the end yield. Just like you're saying, a huge volume of food that no one sees unless unless you have those conversations. Yeah. So I just put the word out. I started on on our socials just saying, guys, you know, if you've got lots of stuff in your backyard, if you've got lemons, if you've got – so I'd be watching, you know, what what my local farmers were growing and planting and – and what my suppliers were telling me was coming into season, I'm watching the market and I'm saying, if you've got, have you planted gooseberries? Have you planted tomatoes? Have you got lots of lemons? Have you got, you know, um, and building, it was beautiful because I had flipping boards at the jam pantry so I could change my menu every day if I wanted to. And people would just start bringing all this stuff in, you know, a few limes and gooseberries and tomatoes and oranges and all sorts of stuff. So they'd bring them in, I'd turn them into preserves and they could either take a jar of whatever I'd made out of their particular preserves, like pawpaws. I had one lady bring me in five milk crates of pawpaws from trees that she'd planted excitedly and had no idea what to do with pawpaws. So I made a really yummy pawpaw and lime jam. And everyone was so excited. I think that the customers too are really excited because you're building community and they can see who's bringing stuff in. So the next time they see each other, there's conversation built built in there. They're talking about their gardens and they start swapping produce between them and you've got this really beautiful, alive chain. And then I started thinking there's got to be farmers. You know, how much produce that the two big supermarkets aren't taking, how much produce is out there that ends up in landfill. And I remember seeing a story of that banana farmer in far north Queensland who ended up just dumping truckloads, ton after ton of bananas and then he built his own banana flower processing plant and now he exports banana flour. Yes, fantastic fantastic story. Well, you know, what did he do with his bananas before that? He he built his own plant because nobody was taking anything. 
So I just put the word out then. I thought, okay, I'm just going to take stuff from whoever. And I had, there's a local um, sauerkraut fermenter, Gutsy Ferments. She rang me one day and she said, Nim, I've got seven massive commercial oak barrels full of kraut. And because of the temperature change overnight, the kraut's gone soft. And I don't know what to do. And she was like full of shame that oh. as a, as of you know professional kraut maker, she'd allow this to happen. I was like, it doesn't matter. How wonderful! You can still cook with it. We can add it to soups. I'm sure some people won't care if they kraut a little soft. Let's do a campaign and let's see who wants to buy it. So we put priced it so that she would still cover all her costs for the cabbage and the labour and everything else. And with my connection with other cafes, I put the word out and we got rid of seven barrelfuls of sauerkraut in two weeks. That's awesome. Phenomenal. So this, you know, it can translate not just to backyard gardens, but all sorts of growers, makers, farmers. I've had 100 kilos of strawberries a farmer brought down to market. Well, he brought more than 100 kilos down, but he had 100 kilos of of strawberries in punnets left, couldn't take them back. What was he going to do with them? So rang me desperate, who was looking for jam on Google to see who made jam that would take them. Didn't even look up bring us your excess or anything. Just looked up oh jam pantry. She'll take them, and it was it was beautiful. That was a like a confirmation that I was on track because it happened the day after I decided that I was going to see if farmers needed needed somewhere to bring their excess as well. Oh, I so I did a post and I said, all right, this is what this is the, the, the way we're moving now. If you know any farmers, you know, small hobby farmers that have overplanted and no one's taking anything, they can't take them to market, whatever, you bring them to me and I'll ring around the network of cafes that I know and we'll put them on menus. Let's do this. You know, let's be responsible. <laughs> Thinking, what am I doing? Where's this going to go? That's a day later. Without even looking up bringing extractors, he had no idea what I did. I ended up with 100 kilos of strawberries in the kitchen. It was fabulous. Wow. Yeah, if that's not a sign, I don't know what is. So where has that campaign gone now or where is it going? So now that you've sold the jam pantry, where mm. is your Bring Your Excess campaign going or is somebody taking that over and you're moving on to bigger and better things or where? what's the story? Well, I've, I'm still holding on to that because I feel like that has been – it absolutely is for such a time as this. Prior to, to us going into crazy times because of this COVID-19 and all of the stuff that that entails, I was building an app so that cafes would have a way to source local excess, whatever that looked like. Gardeners would have a way to see cafes in their local area that were open to accepting excess. And farmers had a way to see who they could distribute, you know, as a drop-off point and who would who would be open to distributing the excess. So we'd mapped how this would look and we've gotten it to a point of the skeleton has been designed now it's just a matter of making sure it functions properly and and I was in chats with um, Brisbane City Council because I really think that if they are behind it because a lot of people 
still think that maybe they shouldn't be taking their garden produce to cafes. Maybe there's, you know, a new food license prohibits it or there's lots of conversations around that as well. So I really feel it's important that if Brisbane City Council logo is on there in some way, shape or form, that people will feel safe and comfortable taking their access to their local cafe. So I was in chats with City Council about what to do with that and I'll even talk to current Environment Minister about um, waste and and the app and talking about getting support and possibly speaking about funding to launch the app. I had a chat to Rose Wright from Regionality Australia who said, look, Nims, if you need to write a funding letter, come down, we'll have a girl's sleepover and we'll write letters for you. So there's lots of community support and lots of people really, really excited about having having a vehicle to be able to connect and having licence to connect. Mm. And I think if, if, if there's an app in your hand and there's an easy way for you to find, you know, your local and, and what they would be trading for your produce or I think a farmer is absolutely worth his labour. So he would be able to deem what he could charge for things per kilo so that he's still able to put food on the table. So that's kind of where that's going. And I think once once we wrap ourselves out of hibernation, mm. I'll have to pull all that together and pursue that again and see see where where we can go with that. Now that I don't have the jam pantry, I don't have a physical drop-off point. I'm sure other cafes that I know that have sustainable hearts will absolutely allow me to use them and they'll sign up and get involved and it could be a really beautiful thing. I know council really want to back it because Adrian Schreiner is, you know, he's got a real heart for making Brisbane the most sustainable city in Australia and I think that's beautiful. So I know that that is definitely on their agenda. So for such a time as this, it's, it's just perfect. Yeah. It is, yeah, and it's such an exciting concept which has you know, far-reaching benefits for so many people and yeah. can actually have, I mean, can be replicated in, in so many cities across Australia and the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I love the fact that, you know, if people are on the app, gardeners can have their own little forum, they can be talking to each other and talking about responsible planting and, you know, responsible planting for yield and all this sort of stuff what they can do to make their tomatoes bigger or that could be really cool if you get Costa to, to give them some hints and you know it can be a really interactive beautiful educational tool as well there's there's so much that can happen with it and I think it'll just really open people's eyes to being more waste conscious and more responsible and it'll be a really beautiful tool to build more conversation about community yeah sounds absolutely wonderful mm, look forward really does. To, um, to seeing the app very soon, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, and no, I know it's no pressure, Wendy. No, no, no pressure, Nims. No, no pressure think, at all. <laughs> I think if I was able to just go and get a, a loan and just make it happen, yeah, you know, I'm an action jackson happen really quickly. But once you're asking for funding and you're wanting government bodies to be involved, and it, it, you know, you guys know that takes a bit longer. It does take time, but I think it's, it's really important that they are involved really important. Yes, I mean, and it's everybody's responsibility. 
yeah. to to avoid the food waste as we were talking about earlier in the conversation so i mean this is just a fantastic way you hear so much wastage of of farmers that have had to dump it because it didn't meet the criteria for yeah. for for, like for certain markets and yeah. that's right that's right or the apples went round enough or the pears yeah. were wonky shape or something so yeah. and i know there's a variety of different people who have had different ideas and 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 done different things with with fruits and vegetables for that reason but unfortunately the the glossy shiny fruit that everyone expects isn't necessarily how it grows on a tree so no. i think we've got to pass that it's the flavor that we should be yeah. looking at not the it's shape absolutely about the flavor yeah yeah, absolutely. So before we just finish up on as as a last thing, because we know you're busy and and we don't want to take up too much of your time as well. But have you got some busy baking bread? Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> so have you got some tips for people, and particularly at this time, as you mentioned with COVID nineteen, of of avoiding food waste in their household, and and particularly I guess when they're growing their own produce. But I mean, it's for every t- for all year round. It's it's not when there's a p- pandemic or, or anything particular necessarily it's it's how do you avoid food waste in general because we are throwing out one in every five shopping bags full of yeah. groceries which yeah. is a really sad indictment on our, on our society what can we do what's some your simple tips of, of what everyday people can do to stop that I think you know everything in life comes down to planning and I think if you if you go into whether it's your supermarket or your local fruit and veg person or wherever you do your shopping if you don't have a list and you don't have a plan, then you're, you've already lost the game. So if you, if you sit down, go through your magazines or your cookbooks or just plan, you know, what are we eating for dinner for the next three nights or the next five nights or however long you shop for? And make sure when you bring it home, the thing that you've got planned for day four, you're storing it properly so that it stays alive and you're crisper and it's not wilting. So if you Bringing herbs and leafy greens home, they need to be taken out of the plastic and stored in environment that kicks them crisp. If you just pop a head of broccoli in your crisper drawer with nothing, day two it's going to start looking very sad. Day three it'll be in the bin. So I think if you're if you're planning what you're buying and then you do a little bit of research around how to store things responsibly. You've already won. None of that shop is going to be wasted. Absolutely. Great tips. Thank you. Yeah. So, Nims, if people wanting to find you or follow you on social media, where where should they find you so they can follow the story of Bring Us Your Excess campaign and, and things like that? Where can they follow you? Well, I'm a, I'm a bit of a social media junkie because I've got a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> So if you want to follow things that I'm, like at the moment I'm baking lots of bread and, um, you know, making lots of simple things at home and have a few opinions. So if if you need that, Facebook or Instagram, it's Nims Kiss Kiss, N-I-M-S Kiss Kiss. If you're wanting to see fun things that I'm preserving or, you know, Gideon's Lithuanian, so he was brought up on lots of traditional ferments, learned how to make sourdough lemonade and all sorts of really groovy things. So as we get back into that, uh, you'll find all of that stuff on Fermenting Bandits, so Fermenting underscore Bandits on Instagram or just the Fermenting Bandits on Facebook. If you're wanting to see what sort of things I will be doing with Excess or anyone that's got Excess produce, then Instagram only is Bring Us Your Excess. Wonderful. Um, yeah. Well, we will put 
those handles for Instagram and Facebook, etc., in the show notes for this episode. And so people will yep. be able to find those there and follow you along. And we look forward to to seeing the app. That'd be fantastic. The Bring Us Your Excess app will be really, really something that I think will go go far. Yeah. Go far, that's I'm, for sure. I'm really hoping that this year it'll be it'll be out and, and functioning. It'd be great. It'd be great if it was out and functioning for, you know, end of spring, summer harvest because that's the time when lots of stuff gets wasted. So if we could sort of have it operational just before then, that is great. Would be. Well, Mm. thank you so much, Nims, for your time and and talking to us all about all of the interesting things that you've done. It's it's really fantastic. I think we could chat on for ages, but... We'll, we'll have to leave it for another time to have, a, have a, another chat about some of the other wonderful things that you do as well. Oh, thank you, girls. It's been lovely talking my head off. <laughs> <laughs> Rambling on like an old woman. Not at all. It's been very informative. I feel fully justified. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks, Nims. If you've enjoyed this conversation and know people who'd be interested in knowing more about this topic, then show them you care and send them the link to this podcast. To keep up with our Gutsy Matters conversations, subscribe and share with your friends. For extras, follow Stored Naturally on Facebook and Instagram. Gutsy Matters podcast is brought to you by Stored Naturally. We are the creators of the all-natural hemp fresh produce enhancer, for longer-lasting and healthier fresh food kept in the fridge. Available at storednaturally.com.